With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. I'm your host, uh, Rez Krebs, for After 9 this Friday. And uh, I've got a guest with me today, Callista Vaught. Full disclosure, we're friends from the dog park. Uh, Callista is a counselor at School District 57. Uh, she's been working there for 24 years, you say? Yeah. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of clearing the air and getting some uh, getting some of the record straight on SOGI education. Uh, Callista, I just want to, you know, ask... How did you get into this job? You've been you you've been teaching and counseling at School District 57 for a lot of years. Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think most people who know me would probably say I'm definitely an advocate for humans, and uh, so obviously being a teacher and being a counselor is a great fit for me. Um, before I start too much further, I just want to say that as I have this conversation with you, um, I want to be really respectful of the people I'm speaking about. Um, and for our humans who are LGBTQIA2S+, I'm going to be in this conversation just referring them to, to them as my queer humans, and I hope that doesn't offend anyone. It's a bit of a mouthful, and I don't want to miss anyone. And, of course, we might end up um, talking a little bit about suicidality, um, and I just want that as a bit of a trigger warning, just in case that comes up. I appreciate that, Calista. Um Yeah, so you said... 19 years as a teacher, what kind of things were you teaching? Uh, thanks for redirecting me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I actually was trained in elementary school and uh, worked in high school. I worked up at the youth um, incarceration <laughs> uh, place at one point. I've done a lot of alternate ed. And, um, you know, eventually my heart did settle in alternate ed, but I've been kind of everywhere in Prince George, actually, as a teacher. And that was 19 years of my career. I absolutely loved it. In 2017, I started my master's in counseling and have been a counselor in the in school district 57 for the last four going on five years. And I also work in the community as a counselor as well. Right on. And you say, you know, an advocate, but I mean, I feel like if you're getting into education and, and there, what's, what kind of, what's kind of driving you towards education and then moving into counseling? Is it just kind of care for other human beings? Is there, is, is there an interest in like spreading knowledge? What, what kind of inspired that? Definitely both, but I would just say more for caring for humans. Um, I really did become a teacher because I, I noticed the kids, I think sometimes that the main system leaves behind, for lack of a better word. Um, and I'm passionate about supporting all our, all our people. Um, so definitely that's where I ended up going into counseling because I already was, you know, that teacher, you know, I had a rainbow sticker on my door and I had like a, you know, no racism here sticker on my door. And I would find that kids would come and find me even ones that I wasn't necessarily their teacher. So it was a very natural fit to move into counseling. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I actually, as uh, being for the last four or five years, I have also been Soji lead in the school that I work in. So that hopefully gives me a little bit more clout. When we're talking. Yeah, yeah well, right. I guess a little bit more right to speak on the matter. If yeah, of I, if, course. <laughs> um, I mean, let's get right into that then. You know, the first question I've got, like, I'm, I'm just kind of an observer here. I've seen people on both sides kind of protesting this thing called Soji. What does SOGI stand for? S-O-G-I. Yes, S-O-G-I. So sexual orientation, gender identity. And um, it's a really great term because it is not divisive. Every person 
has a sexual orientation, gender identity. So I actually, um, instead of having like a gay straight alliance club, I actually have a Soji club because everybody is a member equally. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so this came in what I want to say 2013. I mean, please correct me. Like when was it introduced and, and what at the time, what were the goals of this, uh, it's called Soji education, this initiative. Yeah. So definitely around 2013, I think it was really fully getting implemented into schools in about January of 2017. Either way, it's not brand new. It's interesting that there's a lot more fervor around it right now than there was when it first was introduced. Um, it's not, it's not curriculum. It's not a course. It's not a course that children are marked on or graded on. It is, um, it's like a lens, right? It's a lens of, Regardless of your sexual orientation, gender identity, you have value, you have the right to safety, you have the right to um, autonomy, and you are a part of our beautiful group of, you know, humans all like in Prince George and further and beyond, right? We all have a sexual orientation, gender identity. Okay. Um, like you say, it's not a curriculum, it's a lens. So... Tell me more about that. When I think about, you know, I go to school, I go to a school to learn something, and then I go and, say, take a test or write an essay about what I learned. Um, but when you say it's not curriculum, does that mean that there are, that that's not happening? There are no tests or, or, uh, or essays or something about Soji? Is that, is that the case or? That, that is the case. I mean, unless a child chose to write about that. Yeah. That's not a course where you're like, okay, what is your sexual, you know, <laughs> your sexual orientation, gender identity? What is theirs? Write an essay about it. Like definitely nothing like that. Um, it might mean that when your teacher has like, you know, a PowerPoint up, maybe there's a picture picture of Tommy and he's got two dads beside him, um, you know, or maybe there's different families that are represented on your posters in your classroom. Um, you know, again, it's just actually representing what exists already in real life. Um, our curriculum sometimes is very, you know, it's very based on what was traditional or what is traditional. But when children don't see themselves represented in society, sometimes they get a bit lost. And that is true for some of our kiddos who do not have what we might call the traditional sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, we'd actually lose those children more often to drugs and alcohol or to suicidality than we do to like what I might say are our non-queer humans. Right. Um, can we go back to that representation issue? You know, before we, but when we were off air, we were talking a little bit about how representation of different kinds of people has changed in curriculum. I mean, I, the example that I always bring up is that I went to grade, I was in grade 10 in 1995. And in grade 10, we learned that basically, uh, Canada was colonized because the indigenous peoples were more susceptible to alcoholism. Like it's literally in our textbook, right? Um, that has changed. Right. Uh, thank and goodness. yeah, thank goodness. And we're seeing more, uh, I guess like, well, you were mentioning that we're seeing more kinds of people represented in more kinds of ways. Can you speak a little more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, sometimes with this conversation, cause I've been having this conversation a lot with a lot of people, my friends, even just around the campfire this summer, you know, what's going on in schools. And, and I keep being like, how do I, 
how do I help explain what this might look like? And so I often have been comparing it to like the, the women's movement. So once upon a time, you'd be really hard pressed to find a textbook in which a woman was being portrayed as a doctor or a dump truck driver or otherwise, right? It was like she was a mother, she was a nurse, she was a teacher. Um, but as our lens around women and what they can do and the fact that they have value in society and autonomy and can be who they are, um, we have started to normalize that. And we might see representations of women as, you know, members of, you know, our government or, like I said, like working in a mill. So I often remind people or tell people like that's kind of what the Soji lens is as well. Like our people you know, I say our people, <laughs> my queer humans, right? They already exist in society. Um, but we tend to um, not represent them. And so even for them growing up, they think, well, what else can I be? Who can I be if I'm not that other? Right? But they also could be a member of our government. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, all along these lines, you know, when it was introduced, it sounds like some of the uh, the goals of the initiative were to increase representation, demonstrate to kids who who are not, uh, you know, straight, uh, who are not uh, cisgendered, that, hey, there are other ways to be in the world, that those things exist. But it seems to me that there's more to it than that. Um, I've heard a lot of people, like... I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, the goals of, of understanding uh, how those things might work in the world, but also kind of respect for yourself and others. I've heard respect thrown around a lot. Um, how How is it that uh, Soji education works to improve people's like self-respect, let's say? How does that work? Well, that's a very big question. Let me see if I can attempt to answer it. <laughs> um, so... It's, no, we need to restart that one. <laughs> um, you know, the goals are being like, first of all, that schools are safe for our students growing up and that we actually have inclusion. And that includes like, not just our, like, again, and I'll use the word queer, right? Our queer humans, but it's also including our non-queer humans and helping them understand that they are safe in their own sexual orientation and gender identity. And I think I didn't answer your question, so I might need you to. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, that safety is important, right? I've heard, like I said, the, the word respect, they keep hearing respect, like in the talking points from uh, ministry officials, let's say, right. And I just wonder how that works. How is it that you're, how is it that that soji education is inculcating that respect? Excellent. Thank you. Yes. So when when we don't understand something as humans, we tend to fear it. And when we fear it, we tend to avoid it or we shun it or we openly discriminate against it. All of those things obviously are very disrespectful. <laughs> um, and they don't, and necessarily, they don't necessarily garner respect even in ourselves when we're scared of things, right? We, we don't even value, um, others. Then we don't really value ourselves. So a lot of it is just bringing that understanding to, to all of the groups, like I said, it's not just education for our non-queer students to understand queer students. It's also for our queer students to understand um, them, themselves and how we can create an integrated society where we all have respect for each other and the fear can go away. Hmm. Um, you know, I keep hearing really interesting and 
amazing stories. For instance, uh, that in some schools, children are now self-identifying as cats and using litter boxes instead of toilets. Uh, that's my favorite one, um, just because it's so crazy. Uh, but I mean, on the, you know, the poster that I saw for when, you know, there was that big protest day, there was protests and counter protests. Um, the poster that I saw for it at the post office there, um, claimed that there's this school district 57 calendar that includes everything from bisexual awareness day to pansexual awareness day to, you know, all, all these, all these days. Apparently it's in the school district 57 calendar. Of course, I looked really hard and could not find any of those days in any of the school district 57 calendars. Mostly it's about produce and holidays, for instance. But, you know, this speaks to like, every time I ask someone who is, who is concerned about Soji in schools, they bring these stories up. And I guess I got two questions, like, what kind of concerns are you hearing from parents? And how can parents who have concerns learn more about it and get the actual, get the facts straight? Because I, I will say, if, if you think that kids are self-identifying as cats and using litter boxes, like, you need to give your head a shake, right? But there's lots of other, you know, there's lots of other more reasonable fears that there's, you know, sexualizing of children and these kinds of things that people are really scared about. So I want to know, like, what kind of concerns are you hearing and how might parents actually kind of learn, learn the facts about this thing? Uh, and yeah, and, and like, are some of those fears justified? Yeah. Great question. And you know, it's, I also get to hear all the rumors and, um, they are out of this world at times, the kitty litter boxes and the calendar even. Um, but you know, like any good lie, there's sometimes a kernel of truth. Um, we live in a northern community. Sometimes there is kitty litter in our schools for traction on the ice and, you know, maybe mopping up a spill. Usually we have the appropriate materials and not kitty litter in our schools. Um, you know, the school district calendar, I have a very very boring one. I've never found such a pretty one as what I saw on those posters either. Mine definitely is just white. It's a PDF, <laughs> has the holidays, has the produce on it. Um, you know, there might be a place where you could go online and find a calendar that celebrates all of our queer individuals, but it is certainly not our school district policy, um, you know, calendar that I receive. And I'm a Soji lead in our school. So that means I'm actually sent materials quite often from Soji 123, which is kind of like an answer to your next question, because there are some, you know, it's okay for not okay. It's not the right word. It's wonderful when parents are involved and care about what their what their children are learning. I we always want that. I don't ever want to hear about a parent just being like, "Well, you do you," and you know, we'll see what happens on the other end. We want parents to be well informed and to care what their what their children are learning. But um, you know, a really great resource to go on to is actually called it's the website Soji One Two Three. And Soji123 has um, information for parents. It has information for teachers. And that's actually where teachers can get resources that they could bring into the classroom to augment their curriculum that they're teaching. And as a parent, you can go in and take a look at the parent portal, but you can also look at the teacher portal. You don't need to be a teacher. There's no special teacher sign-in. So what you're going to see on there are, again, materials that you could bring into the classroom. And so when I was a teacher, I had the opportunity to bring those materials into my classroom. I wasn't forced to bring those materials into my classroom. And you will see sometimes a range of comfortability 
from teachers in what they bring into their classroom. And that's okay. We're all at different levels of learning and understanding and comfort level. But, you know, again, that's that's the power of just of Soji not being a curriculum, of Soji being a lens. Just like maybe you might have had at some point some people um, very uncomfortable with the idea of their doctor being a woman. Perhaps they wouldn't have been the first person to put up a poster on the side of their wall that depicted a woman being a doctor. That's very interesting. You know, I, I wish that I had known about this Soji123 website before because it's been a question of mine, like what exactly is going on with this thing that people are so upset about. Um, I would, I'm going to wager that a lot of the people who are out there protesting haven't seen the website because they wouldn't be talking about kitty litter if they had. I'm, gonna, I'm just mm-hmm. guessing. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. There isn't much that a country singer hasn't covered in a song. If you want to hear songs about new love, lost love, drinking, fighting, cowboys, trains, traveling, and everything else, then tune into the Country Cavalcade every Wednesday, 6 to 8, where I cover music from the 20s to the 90s, as well as today's traditional independent artists. You'll hear from such greats as the Carter family, Johnny Horton, Vern Charlton, and so much more. The Country Cavalcade, Wednesday, 6 to 8, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM with me, Corey Walker. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Hi, I'm Darren Guest from Northland Dodge. People hate buying cars. I hate buying cars. If you're holding off buying because you don't want to deal with the hassle, I'm here to make it easy for you. Northland Dodge has more trucks in stock than we have had in the past three years. Plus, we have a huge assortment of awesome used trucks and SUVs. No pressure, no hard sell. Stop by for a coffee and I'll help you find the vehicle that's right for you. I'm Darren Guest, Northland Dodge, dealer number 30541. Forecast from Environment Canada. Morning fog today, then sunny, a high of 14. Tonight, partly cloudy, becoming cloudy overnight with a low of 3. Cloudy on Saturday, becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon, and a high of 13. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So I want to shift gears a little bit here to talk about some specific some specifics. You know, we've... we've kind of laid the groundwork of I've learned quite a bit actually about, about Soji through this conversation but um, have you had any complaints from parents about about Soji about the the Soji education and what kind of complaints have you had well you know actually in general I've actually had a lot of thank yous from my families um, you know people coming up at grad and saying I just I so appreciate you supporting my my person and you know oldest persons talked about how you were one of the first people that they came out to so in general I've had really positives um, not not too long ago for the very first time and it was very secondhand and I need to say that right so one of my youth came to me after I'd had a meeting with the family and said oh like you know my my parent didn't appreciate how supportive you were of me (laughs) and um, you know I'll kind of take that two ways one it's right during 
where we were having these protests. And so I think it was really on the front of people's minds. Um, two, you know, this is a youth coming to me and telling me something that's a one-off. The, the parent made no indication while we were having the meeting. So I always try to take a grain of truth, you know, a, 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 take a grain from that, if that makes yeah. sense. Because yeah. just like I hope parents don't believe everything that their kid comes home and says right away without getting to know me, you know, the opposite. But, you know, if I was to take it at face value, I think that parent... Um, might have had some fear. And, and all I can say is I just really wish that the parent had, had come back and talked to me or, or spoken to me in that moment. And simply because I never want to be divisive in my support of my humans. In fact, if anything, I want it to be able to bring the family closer together. So if I understand their fear, um, perhaps either I can answer questions to it um, to help them understand like what kind of supports I would ever provide. Um, and, and I often say this too, like schools are not teaching our, our children to be queer. I mean, we, we barely have time to get them through the multiplication tables. We're certainly not doing that. And there's that really cool quote about how, you know, if we teach about amphibians, it doesn't make your child an amphibian. Um, right. You know, <laughs> it, it's sort of the same thing, right? But we are teaching like, hey, there are amphibians out there. And if we step on them all, then, you know, we won't have amphibians in the world. So let's be kind to each other and, you know, support each other <laughs> in our journey in this world. Yeah. Um, sounds, like a, sounds like a good Kermit the Frog message. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so that's that's interesting. Let me just clarify there. You you actually haven't had a parent come to you and complain about Soji, even though you're the Soji lead of the school. Yeah, not to my face. And like wow. I said, only one report so far. We'll see yeah, after this yeah, radio episode. Face that's so interesting. Um, because, you know, it's such a big deal out there in the, in the media landscape. And I just wonder, you know, we've talked about this on, on this show, like how much of this is kind of overblown, right? And like, and it's a, a big story for to, to make it fun. But, you know, with all that media out there about anti-Soji protests, etc., I did want to know, have you, uh, have you noticed any impacts on your students? Um, I absolutely have. And, you know, some of my, some of my queer humans chose not to come to school, um, the day of the anti, you know, anti Soji protest kind of stuff. Um, I had some that have still, you know, are still struggling to come to school. There's a lot of fear in the way they're talking about what's happening in society. A lot of times they're bringing up like, look what's happening in the United States. You know, people's rights are being repealed and they're nervous. Um, I also work in the community as like with adults as a counselor and some of my adults are, are nervous and they are feeling unloved (laughs) for lack of a better word. Well, that's, that's unfortunate. I mean, what you're saying is that the feedback you've been receiving from parents has 100, 100% of the feedback you receive from parents has been positive. And yet the, the kind of media blow up around this thing has led to people feeling targeted or, or, uh, otherwise. Yes, but I, unhappy. I do need to clarify that I think I don't, I don't, my story cannot be everybody's story. I do right. know that I have other Soji leads that have had parents coming and contacting and um, being more um, negative. So definitely, I don't want to leave that impression that it's not an issue. Parents are calling the schools. Um, I have, you know, when you work in the district for this long, you have lots of friends and whatever in different schools. So I, I just think my school, um, you know, being that it's alternative, maybe is a little bit... 
um, I don't know what the word would be. We're alternative, right? Yeah. So I just don't want to, I want to make sure that my story is not whatever, what everybody else. Okay. That's a really good point. But I mean, do you, are you aware of any, um, messaging that has been provided to people who, for instance, would, would take those phone calls from parents? Like what you've told me about Soji123, I did not know that there was a website where you can just view everything that's available to teachers. Is that being delivered back to parents so that they can be totally transparent about this thing? Yes. I Now, you know, since everything has been happening with the protests, I think people are far more providing, you know, that website. I like to think that that website has been provided before, um, that we are constantly educating people on what we're doing. Again, I... I'd be hard pressed to find any educator in school district 57 administration otherwise that doesn't want the parents on board, that doesn't want them to feel safe and secure in what their children are learning and for the children to feel safe and secure. Right. So I, I do believe the message was already out there and probably if anything has gotten stronger, like take a look at what's being presented in the schools, take a look at SOGI one, two, three, get an idea of what's actually happening in the schools because there is a lot of misinformation and fear that is being presented and people are feeding off of that, not always the reality of what's actually happening in their schools. Okay. Um, and just for people at home, I'm looking at the website right now. It's sogieducation.org. Yes. Uh, S-O-G-I education.org. That's soji123. And I guess it's British Columbia and Alberta, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 it's not a curriculum, mm-hmm. right? The initiative or, yeah. or it, this, the education, uh, is, is being provided in both provinces. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I gotta say, you know, having grown up and I've, I've shared a few of these stories on air as well, like, Hey, when I was a, when I was a kid, um, homophobia was kind of the, the thing, right? It was, it was okay to be homophobic, Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I've watched that really change over the course of my life. And, and it's, and it's been, I mean, some people have claimed like, this is the kind of social movement or civil rights movement that is, that has changed the fastest. Uh, and they, they, they claim that it's likely because after things like Stonewall and people kind of coming out and being more um, open about those those things, those, those aspects of their identity, um, that, well, it can happen to anyone, right? Anyone can have a kid who's gay. Anyone can have a kid who's trans. Uh, and, and those things have, like, kind of progressed to the point where we're having this um, these conversations and actually bringing them out, as you said, uh, getting people who have two dads represented on a poster in your classroom, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see, where do you see this going? Do you see this as a blip in this trajectory? Are you concerned for, for, uh, for the civil rights of people who have a, you know, non cis heterosexual, whatever, non mainstream gender identity? Or do you think that this is, this is a blip and we're going to move through this? I definitely think we're going to move through this now. It might sound a little Pollyanna, but I, you know, I do believe that we are, we are headed in an upward trajectory of, um, acceptance and inclusion. And sometimes these super difficult conversations and tough things that happen in our society actually provide more space for us to have these conversations. And so I just want to thank you for allowing me to come on here. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm extremely nervous and I hope that I did. <laughs> My, my all my humans justice in in speaking to this but i appreciate that cuz that you know these conversations are going to happen and they are happening and i'm grateful that they're happening even though sometimes it's from tough 
reasons. And that's, I mean, that's why we have this radio show, honestly, to have open dialogue. Uh, we don't judge people for having differences of opinion, but we do want to make sure that all the information is available to them. So I really appreciate you coming on here. I've learned something as well. Lots. I've learned a lot. Um, I had no idea really what before going into this thing. Um, but I will be looking at that Soji123 website and just seeing and making sure that there's no uh, identifying as cats on there. Oh, you better. <laughs> Nothing positive, could you please, uh, but get rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> that right would on. really go against our cause. <laughs> really appreciate you coming in, Callista. Uh, have a great day. Yeah, thanks again. The city of Prince George is accepting applications for the fall intake of the MyPG Community Grant. The grants help registered not-for-profits implement or enhance new and current projects and events which contribute to making Prince George a great place to live. Grants are available for as little as $900 and for as much as $2,500. Applications and full details are available through the Community Grants page under Community and Culture at PrinceGeorge.ca. The MyPG Community Grant application deadline is 4.30 Monday. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. First Student is a leader in student transportation and is excited to be adding to their family of school bus drivers and licensed mechanics. Let First Student put you in the driver's seat. You'll need a full driver's license, clean record, must be safety-focused, and enjoy working with children. Apply online through workatfirst.com or call Christine at 250-900-8220. Apply today through workatfirst.com or by calling Christine at 250-900-8220. The Prince George Public Library is teaming up with Theatre Northwest for another session of Reading Between the Lines on November 16th. It's a 19-plus evening of wine tasting and book recommendations based on the upcoming TNW production of Miracle on 34th Street. It's free, but registration is limited, and it always fills up quickly. Register in person at either branch of the library or call 250-563-9251. Reading Between the Lines, a 19-plus evening at Theatre Northwest on November 16th from 7 to 9. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome back. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and we have the Friday political panel. We've got Art Betke, Peter Ewart, James Steidel, and Eric Allen. We're going to start talking about this this horror show in the Middle East right now. Um, You know, it's been... It, I, you know, for for me, it was pretty surprising. I haven't heard much about Israel apart from the internal struggles re- recently about, well, it, uh, a government that a lot of people have uh, have really um, have really been targeting for their uh, nasty. Uh, uh, nasty is a bad, an awful word, but their their approach to the constitution has been challenged by a lot of people in Israel they had they've had, they've been out you know um had a general strike had a number of uh huge protests but this uh this attack by Hamas um killed 1300 people on Saturday and then of course the the counter strike by Israel has i think it's killed over 900 at least by now i mean they they have uh they destroyed a hospital they've been doing all sorts of um more indiscriminate attacks. Um, I just, it's a tough thing to talk about with uh, this crazy amount of violence. Um, 
but I do want to I do want to open it up for the panel. I you know do does anyone know anyone in the Middle East? Does anyone have friends or family who are impacted by this? It's kind of easy for us to chat about this in these kind of general terms. One thing that I see is, uh, you know, I, I had I had friends uh, growing up uh, who were Jewish, and and you know there was a pretty hard line on there. But I also note that like when you read uh, Haaretz or other other uh, Israel, you know, things from inside Israel, you get some interesting perspectives that are that are not the kind of line that we're expected to take outside of Israel. Anyway, I want to open it up, Eric. I mean. What you're reading here um, and and seeing played out is is this gonna is this going to actually result in anything positive? Is this Hamas moving to try to prevent themselves from being sidelined in these in these recognition movements? Like, what are you seeing as the as the broader geopolitical rationale for for this uh, crazy outburst of violence? Yeah, I don't have a good sense. There is, uh, I get kind of <clears throat> tired somewhat with something happens halfway around the world just out of the blue. Like, say, on Monday, you didn't expect it. Tuesday, it happens. And then Wednesday, our prime minister gets on there and basically tells us which side we should be supporting with no supporting data. So how do, how do people come to some sort of a conclusion of what's going on here when they had maybe... Well, since 1948, when uh, Israel declared independence and recognized as the United States as an independent country, there's been problems going on. I think there's been six different wars. And I don't know how you can definitively take a a side of an issue if you don't have all the information. And it's pretty hard for individuals to go out and start looking around to try and find it. Even the stuff on what's going on today is hard to find, so... I don't know. I'll leave it to the other panelists to uh, kind of explain how you how you get there. I just I'm not there. I'm kind of I expect more from our government in situations like this so that we can make a more definitive decision as opposed to you know just having our prime minister say this is the way we should go. Yeah, it's interesting. I read I read this article and I think I sent it around to the panel here from Shlomo Ben-Ami, a former Israeli foreign minister who was really pushing. Uh, Pushing on Netanyahu, uh, you know, obviously he's got internal political uh, rationale for this, uh, you know, Ben-Ami, um, because he's a political opponent of Netanyahu. But, you know, I think that Netanyahu might be someone that could be blamed, considering he's continued to push uh, Gaza into a box and uh, continued settlements in the West Bank, right? And th- they're claiming, well... The, the Israeli army was over in the West Bank protecting settlers, right? Uh, and, and then therefore was not available to defend against this, oh, this, this crazy invasion from Gaza, right? James, uh, I mean, you saw that, those comments from Shlomo Ben-Ami. Um, what's your, uh, what are you thinking about this? I guess, who's to blame? Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good article, actually, you sent around there. I'd encourage, encourage folks to read it. Yeah, I just want to echo uh, Eric's point there, you know, about, um, you know, why we're supposed to get so uh, caught up in this conflict. And there's so many other conflicts around the world that, you know, the media doesn't really care about. And I think you got to go way back in history, like back to the Crusades almost, uh, and how the Middle East and then, you know, Palestine or Israel, as it's, as it's called now, is it occupies this really weird part of the Western psyche. Um, and... You know, it, it draws us into this conflict, and, and and we support one side, which 
kind of feeds into your your questionnaire, you know, like the billions of dollars that we support Israel with uh, to the point where maybe they feel like they don't need to come up with a solution to the conflict and that they can, uh, you know, continue to have this massive open-air prison, basically, which is the, the Gaza Strip. Like, it's a terrible place uh, that that this conflict has created, um, creating millions of victims. And we feel like we don't need to, or Israel doesn't need to deal with that issue. And that they can just continue to make conditions so terrible and so bad there uh, that this conflict goes on and then horrors emerge from this place. Um, and then uh, it gets repaid on them tenfold. You know, like, um, I don't know how many, you know, babies are getting killed. You're hearing uh, on the media, well, how many babies are getting killed with all this bombing of Gaza right now? You know, and it's like we we're not supposed to care about that. That's just um, that's just a consequence of of um, you know dealing with the problem, which which is just a terrible way to frame it. So, uh, yeah, it is totally messed up all around. Um, no, no genocide is good, and killing innocent civilians is never good. So, anything that Israel is revisiting on the on the Palestinians right now is in no way justified by what's happened. But somehow in the media, and I think the most interesting thing is kind of this broader narrative in the West about which side we should stand on. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, that's that's what I've got to say. That's interesting. That you know the point about which side we're supposed to take, because I will say that personally, like for instance, in the the Ukraine Russia war, I was very much you know um, looking at this thing through Ukrainians as victims, right? When you look at the conflict between Israel and, and Palestine and Israel and the, their, all of their neighbors, right? Because they were, and as soon as they declared statehood, all of their neighbors tried to wipe them out, right? Multiple times. You have this intergenerational trauma and then you have, you know, this, the cycle of violence. I remember, uh, uh, I seen a political cartoon. It was about 20 years ago. You know, I think they called it the second intifada, right? Uh, Yasser Arafat was still around. It was Ariel Sharon. It was Ariel Sharon and Yasser Arafat on a tandem bicycle where the, the bicycle tires were spikes just driving over people, you know? And that's, that's what I see this, these, these, uh, the people who are in power there, whether it's Hamas or whether it's the state of Israel, who is, you know, I think that we get so concerned about it because they're, they're a democratic country. Um, but they, they keep just visiting these awful, uh, horrendous atrocities on one another. And somehow we're, we're supposed to, supposed to get out of that. Every time you see someone, one of your family members killed, you want revenge, right? And so that, that cycle of revenge, I'm not sure if it's ever going to stop. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after this. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is seeking a full-time general manager. Working as a member of the senior management team, the general manager maintains a diverse set of roles within the organization, including governance and board services, policy development and implementation, risk management, human resources, general support to the organization, and more. Full details are available through the We're Hiring button at ispark.ca. Applications will be accepted until the position is filled. If you're between the ages of 10 and 18 and looking to join others your age for some fun, the Nachackle branch of the public library is the place to be every second Tuesday. It's tens to teens, and it's a chance for kids in that age group to get together for games, activities, and more. It's a free drop-in event from 3.30 to 4.15. That's tens to teens for ages 10 to 18. 
The next Tanch to Teens is Tuesday, October 24th, from 3.30 to 4.15 at the Nechako branch of your Prince George Public Library. Spooktacular artisans, unearthly holograms, creepy ambiance, and more will be the order of the day when Studio 2880 presents The Nightmare Market. Spookier than ever, stop by to check out the pumpkin patch and pick up some treats. But watch out for those tricks. Vendor opportunities are still available. Full details can be found through the Nightmare Market link under Programs and Events at Studio2880.com. The Studio 2880 Nightmare Market, Saturday, October 21st from 6 to 9 at Studio 2880. Forecast from Environment Canada. Morning fog today, then sunny, a high of 14. Tonight, partly cloudy, becoming cloudy overnight with a low of 3. Cloudy on Saturday, becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon at a high of 13. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Peter, you know these atrocities in the Middle East, they have a long history. Um, I, like, are you going to pick a side in this in this conflict? Uh, y- yes, I would. You know, from the point of view of uh, the Palestinians have been under uh, occupation for over 75 years. Uh, in Gaza, they've been, as James was pointing out, uh, there's been a, there's a siege there. Like, so what's been going on? Like, the, this is the whole problem, uh, with the, uh, context here. You know, like, as the Riyadh Mansour, the permanent observer of Palestine to the UN has said, the history for some media and politicians starts when Israelis are killed. Uh, you know, the, the, the ongoing daily Killings that have taken place, the uh, the occupation of land, the, the destruction of buildings, the, uh, uh, the the siege that the blockade that has taken place for the last 15 years, the, the denying uh, even just basic infrastructure uh, and and food and medicine and, and and mobility, people, Palestinians living in constant fear, living in refugee camps all over the Middle East. It's been a it's been a disaster, and uh, so some people describe it as Israel as being an apartheid regime. Uh, but even uh, and even Israeli government ministers don't deny it; they boast about it. Palestinians do not have the same rights of of Israelis in so many ways, you know. So is that any wonder that there's resistance about after in Gaza after being kept in a cage for 15 years? There is a, I, I believe that there is a path to peace where, where and this is again the uh, permanent observer of Palestine to the UN who said that there's a path to peace where neither Palestinians nor Israelis are killed. And it is the one diametrically opposed to the one Israel is embarked upon. upon. You know, the critical thing is the, the Israeli model, the Zionist model is based upon the oppression of the Palestinian people. You know, the critical thing is, is that the, the, the path to peace would be one in which both Jewish people and uh, Palestinian people have equal rights and that these rights are upheld. But that's not the case. We have a situation where, whereby the um, uh, Palestinian people are denied rights uh, and everyday living. And as, in terms of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, I would put Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden in the same category in some ways because they have allowed this situation to continue for so long, despite numerous UN resolutions, you know, calling for um, the end of the occupation or whatever. Canada, Justin Trudeau, 
prances around the international stage. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, Canada, uh, oppo- opposes, uh, res- the Palestinian resistance, whether it's violent or non-violent. It opposes them in both those ways. So I, th- I don't think, uh, he's anyone to be uh, respected on, in terms of sorting this issue out. Because sorting this issue out is all about rights. And the Palestinian do not, Palestinian people do not have the rights or denied these rights. Art, I mean, I could ask you the same question. You're going to pick a side, but I also, you know, I might want to, might want to talk a little bit about, um, how the, how the, how the dialogue gets, gets, gets turned into us and them and how, uh, if you pick it, if you pick one side, you, you, you turn into an anti-Semite. If you pick the other side, you're, uh, you 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 deny the human rights of of the Palestinians, right? I mean, are, do you, I'd love to hear. Do you have a side that you're going to pick? I suppose you could say I do. Uh, one thing we need to get clear: there has never in history been a country named Palestine. Uh, that was a name given to the area uh, where Israel and Jordan now are, and I believe it was even bigger than that. Given by the Romans when they ruled the area, it was a very troublesome area for them. And uh, they uh, finally had enough in 70 A.D. and uh, pushed the Jews out. But Jews, a lot of them stayed, a lot of them came back. There have always been Jews there. It's been their country. They're originally from there. The Arabs, by the contrast, they came in the 6th and 7th century with the uh, big Muslim uh, expansion across the Middle East and North Africa and even into Spain. So... Uh, uh, to say that uh, Israel is occupying Palestinian lands or, or the Palestinians' place, that's completely false. Now, after the First World War, the British, they pushed the Turks out. The Turks had controlled that area for 400 years. There was nothing left of original Jewish or Arab or anybody's government there because they'd been under the Turks for so long, the Ottoman Empire. And uh, so both Arab and Jewish people went to the British and said, okay, the Turks are gone, let us set up our own countries. And both of them wanted that. And the British said, fine. And they did figure one out. They gave 80% to the Arabs and 20% to the Jews. And uh, the Arab portion is now called Jordan. But they, they gave that to them in the 20s, I believe. But they wouldn't give the Jews their part. And they put it off and delayed it, and uh, finally they they said, "Okay, you can have it, but we're going to take this part for somebody and this part for somebody else." And and they whittled it down to something like ten percent of the original area called Palestine, and they still wouldn't give them to them till the, the Jews revolted and uh, started fighting against the British. And finally, in 1948, uh, the UN said, "Okay, you can have your country." So that's what happened. After the atrocity of the Holocaust. I feel like the Holocaust was the only way that that would happen. Uh, boy, they didn't even want to do it after the people, displaced people from the Holocaust came there. That's why they had to fight for it. And, uh, yeah, it, it may never have happened if not for, for them fighting for it. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have. But why, why give it to the Arab portion and not the Jewish portion? Yeah. So, the Palestinians, you know, immediately after the state of Israel was announced, uh, their neighbors, as you said, all invaded. And uh, Israelis fought back. 
they lost 10% of their population in that war, but they survived. Uh, during that time, the Arab uh, nations told the Arabs living in Israel, get out, and because uh, we're going to annihilate Israel, and uh, when they're gone, you can come back. And Israel said, you don't have to leave if you don't want to, but we certainly won't discourage you from leaving. So that's where the Palestinians left what is now Israel. And, uh, of course, they, since the Arabs did not eradicate Israel, they have not been able to go back. At the same time, you have to keep in mind, there were just as many displaced Jews that were in Arab lands that fled to Israel. Israel absorbed them into their area, into their country, but uh, and the Arab countries could have done the same with the Palestinians, but they didn't. It, for them, they're political pawns to keep there. Israel supplies Gaza with water, electricity, and medical care. That's where they, they Palestinians go to Israel for for hospitalization for operations. Uh, so they have all kinds of rights. Arabs living in Israel are Arab citizens. They have more rights in Israel than they have in any Arab country in the area. So, and uh, you want to take a break now? Yeah, we got to take a break. But you know, the story you're telling reminds me of the story of the partition of India and Pakistan. You know, and this these ideas from imperial. Uh, Imperial countries that we can just divide these, these countries with these lines and, and different people will live in different pl places, right? I mean, it has a, it has the. It's called the two-state solution, which the Palestinians have repeatedly rejected. Hmm, interesting. So we'll take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. The Prince George Hospice Dream Home Lottery is back for 2023. It's your chance at a brand new custom-built home worth over $820,000. Check out the Dream Home on Monroe Way in University Heights Subdivision or go online to hospicedreamhome.ca. The grand prize draw is Friday, December 1st. Nearly 3,000 square feet of custom-built living comfort. The Prince George Hospice Dream Home Lottery. BC Gaming License 141437. Know your limit. Play within it. The Prince George Council of Seniors is looking for volunteers. Help out with their Better at Home program to assist shut-ins with a few weekly tasks. Their caregiver support program needs volunteers who have experience caring for seniors. Or spend a bit of time each week making friendly phone calls to isolated or lonely seniors who would appreciate hearing your voice. If you have a few hours to spare, email hcn at pgcos.ca or call the Seniors Resource Center at 250-564-5888. Connect with services such as WorkBC, ServiceBC, and the Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. It's a convenient way for you to find out about these community services at a spacious central location. Sessions are held every second Tuesday, and you don't need to make an appointment. Just drop in and chat with the service providers you need. The next community services drop-in is October 24th from 1 to 3 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. If you would like to get involved with Tai Chi but are looking for a gentler way to do it, the Prince George Public Library is offering gentle seated Tai Chi. Instructor Tom Hind will lead you through a Tai Chi form with easy-to-follow gentle movements, which can be done seated or standing. The gentle seated Tai Chi sessions are offered on Fridays from 12.30 to 1.30, alternating between the two libraries. The next Tai Chi session is October 27th from 12.30 to 1.30 at the Downtown Public Library. 
It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're gonna, you're going to continue that uh, kind of long history here that you were uh, narrating? Well, I'm going to get into a little more recent history, for one thing. Uh, Hamas has not always ruled uh, the Gaza Strip, but it was elected in 2006 with a clear majority, and the Hamas Charter, Charter clearly states that their goal is the eradication of the state of Israel in by violent means. Um, their Palestinian voters understand this very well. Uh, a year after they were elected in 2006, uh, they started to murder all their opposition in Gaza, the, you know, the Fatah party people. And they, you know, throwing them off rooftops and uh, they massacred an awful lot of them so they wouldn't have any opposition parties. And uh, when they, uh, you know, th- this latest invasion in- into Israel, that's pure evil medieval barbarism. And uh, these people do not want a two-state solution. They want a single-state solution. There's no Israel, death to Israel. They are supported by uh, Iran, which is still also has the same goal of eradication of Israel. And both Iran and maybe even United States are responsible for supporting Hamas uh, funding this latest ir- in- intrusion, in- yeah. incursion into Israel and the barbarism that followed. I mean, the question I've got is, you know, those, the long history, right? I mean, even if, even if we shorten it a little bit, go back a hundred years, these conflicts, um, seem to be, as I mentioned before, the result of a lot of imperial meddling in that, in that region. Um, but, you know, 16 years of, of being stuck in a box in that, uh, the Gaza Strip, literally a wall all around you. Um, I just wonder, you know, the, the, the most densely populated place on earth. I just wonder what, what's going to go on to, to those people in that box, right? How do, how do they end up electing, uh, what you say is a, a barbarous, uh, you know, if you can call it a political party, a barbarous terrorist group. One part of the bar- border of Gaza is against Egypt, and the Egyptians built a wall too. Peter? There is a, a day-to-day reality that goes on and has been going on for years, right, where the Palestinians are denied their rights, uh, they're, they're killed, they're massacred, whatever, right? And this situation goes on for a long period of time. In terms of history, there's a, uh, in terms of, uh, who were the, were the original, uh, occupants of that area of Israel? It was the Canaanites. They predated the, the Israelis or the Arabs or anyone else, right? You know, so, you know, like, when you go into history there, like, we're also looking at the formation of the state of Israel. You know, the, the, from the very beginning, the, what prompted other, the other Arab countries to go against Israel was the fact that it was ethnic cleansing, uh, the portions, portions of, uh, the, 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 the region at that time. So we have a situation where, again, where I just get back to that point. What, what is needed in the Middle East to sort out this problem there is a situation, a model that where both uh, Jewish people and uh, Palestinian people have fundamental rights 
No one is denied rights. There's no second-class citizens or whatever. And it's been notified many times, or noted, noted many times, that the, the Palestinians have second-class rights. Even Jimmy Carter, the former president of the U.S., has pointed that out, that Israel is an apartheid state. The, the apartheid state was imposed uh, on the original, the one thing that they forgot to do when they set up the state of Israel, they forgot to ask the original inhabitants, the Palestinian people who had lived there for long periods of time, about uh, wh- whether they were for it, and they were not. Yeah, it's a tough thing. I mean, going back to current situations, I don't, I don't think leadership on either side is ready to grant the grace required to work towards a solution because of the the cycle of revenge that I mentioned before. Um, you know, we only got a couple of minutes left here, uh, but I, I do want to put one more uh, issue here, kind of bring things back to Prince George. Um, and I do this with a clumsy segue because I know that uh, uh, there there is at least one Palestinian student at CNC right now, an international student who's taking English. Uh CNC is on strike, or, or, sorry, CNC, the faculty at CNC ha- is, has, has given strike notice and are in a, in a legal position to strike. And I just wonder, has anyone heard anything about what the, what the conditions are for that they're, that they are negotiating about from either side? I have heard zero, and I'm a little bit perturbed about it. I heard, I didn't hear something, I thought I read something. Thought I read something that uh, they were getting, <clears throat> looking to get twenty percent over four years, but I looked and looked and looked. I can't find it anywhere. So I don't so know. It's a rumor. Might have been a dream or a rumor or whatever. But I looked again yesterday and today. I can't find anything. Peter, I mean, you were at CNC. Do you have any inside information here? Can you leak well, something to a, us? I've been away uh, out of town, right? But uh, I got back to town and I did a little bit of inquiry, right? And I, anyway, I wasn't able to get anything in terms of what what's what's going on. Art. I barely heard that they even in, in contract negotiations. Yeah, no, they've been in contract like they, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. They've been in contract negotiations for long enough that they are now in a legal strike position. Uh, James, yeah, go ahead, Art. No, they haven't been in the news. That's my point. Yeah, it's been like a two-line article from Ted Clark saying, as of Sunday, they're in a strike position. Like it's just there's no information here, and I can understand the administration and the, and the union wanting to keep keep the details out of the media so they're not fighting this in the media but at the same time like this is a this is a publicly funded institution and i feel like the public should be uh informed about what's going on inside that's our show this week really appreciate everyone's time uh have a great weekend after nine is a weekday presentation of cfisfm after nine is produced by alan wishart eric allen Kylie Lewis-Holt, Aaron Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10, and for past shows, check out the archives link at cfisfm.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFIS-FM Prince George, proudly supported by community organizations like the Canadian Home Builders Association of Northern BC. Check them out online at chbanorthernbc.ca.